As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. Hello and welcome to Matters of Life and Death. As always, I'm Tim White and I'm joined by my dad, John White. Hi, John. Hi, Tim. It's good to be here. So this is uh, part two on dependence, autonomy, ageing. Um, last week we we kind of introduced the idea we've talked about before about the kind of demographic time bomb and, and the fact that a growing numbers of people are living older and older but with more and more kind of chronic health conditions and 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 kind of sketched out this idea of of um, society's response to this to be about trying to stave off dependence as long as possible and to kind of lionize and reify the idea of of remaining autonomous and an individual as as long as possible the saga holiday stereotype of of living the dream even in your silver silver years that's um, what i'm hanging on to tim I, I hope you're going to back me in this <laughs> well don't burn through too much of the inheritance on your saga cruises if it's all right <laughs> Um, <laughs> and we and we talked about about how that plays into some of the discussions around assisted suicide and euthanasia and and statistics around how people fear both that loss of autonomy and the the crippling fear of being a burden to others is pushing people in some jurisdictions to choose to end their lives um, early, as it were, and, and even causing some philosophers to kind of promote the idea of so-called altruistic suicide to spare your family and dependents from from having to care for you in your old age. Um, and we kind of talked about some in- initial kind of Christian responses we might have to that. Um, but today we wanted to move the conversation on a little bit to talk about what might another way a better way of transitioning from from middle age and independence to to old age dependence um you've been doing some some writing and thinking about this i think yeah um i do think it's it's a really important issue just both for wider society as a whole and particularly you know for people of my age group i've just had my 70th birthday uh i already have this sort of sense that i'm living on borrowed time that every <laughs> every day is a bonus and and of course, it's this new phenomenon that people of my age group are, we don't know what the future could hold, but potentially we could have 20, 25 years of healthy life ahead of us. And then the question comes, what are those years for? I mean, it's something we've talked about it before, haven't we, mm. on, a, on a previous podcast. But I think it's a really important conversation. And, and, and still, it strikes me that by and large, um, not many people are having this conversation. Uh, as we talked about last week, that the the primary response 
is all about well stay healthy as long as you possibly can you know be active mm. go to the gym keep jogging do your weight training um stave off um eventual uh, dependence as long as possible and um it's interesting again to look at, at different responses and, and and not surprisingly one of the primary responses is to say well let's throw technology at this problem hmm. you know yes we're going to have lots of lonely and uh, increasingly disabled elderly people but is are there are there technological solutions which are going to help yeah and so you see this in things like the the push at the moment towards smart homes the connected home which is obviously, you know, not exclusively a phenomenon for old people, but, you know, you can move beyond having a, a video doorbell that sends something to your phone when someone reads the doorbell through to, to saying, well, let's let's put cameras in, in each room inside the house so we can keep an eye on Granny. Uh, we don't live anywhere near her. We live 500 miles away, but at least on our phones, we can get a, an alert when she falls over because she's, she's wearing a watch that has fall detection and, and um, you know, we can check the temperature on the thermostat has come up okay and... And it's effectively the idea, of, I guess, of outsourcing some of that care that was historically would be provided by family members or a, a paid care worker to to um, smart tech. That's right. And quite a lot of um, commercial companies and academics are actively working in this area. And, and of course, you can see, you know, technologically how a lot of this would work and um, positively it could mean that people can be maintained in their own home, elderly and dependent people, uh, in a way that previously they would either have to have a live-in carer, a human carer, or else uh, be admitted into some kind of institution. Hmm. But, it's, I mean, it's also pretty obvious as well what the ethical challenges that are raised. You know, is it, if you're living in a kind of panopticon, you know, the panopticon was the kind of prison that was invented by Jeremy Bentham as a sort of thought experiment. But it's it's that phrase has become uh, widely used as a kind of <clears throat> a metaphor for uh, living in in the uh, in the brave new world. And mm. the idea was that in the prison, I think every cell could be seen simultaneously by one kind of warden. And so it's the idea that you are constantly under scrutiny. You're never in privacy. You're never um, uh, truly alone in that sense. And and um, yeah, you can see how that might work for a prison. But it's it is interesting to consider the idea that we are voluntarily potentially making our own homes these kind of like constantly surveilled properties. Yeah, that's right. And of course, it wouldn't just be the loved ones that are doing the surveillance. It would be uh, social workers and healthcare workers and nominated care workers and so on. <clears throat> you can imagine sort of banks of screens and clever smart software which alerts people. Mm. And, and yet, where's the privacy? You know, <clears throat> am I going to be watched when I go to the toilet? Am I going to be watched... When I'm, you know, oh, is everybody going to listen to my intimate conversations and uh, interactions with loved ones? Um, is this a vision of old age we want to buy into? And I suppose there's every chance as well that this becomes a service you can buy as a package. And so I don't know if it exists yet, but I wouldn't at all be surprised if in the near future you can you can pay a company effectively to, to, to rig up your your loved one's home as a connected home and then you also pay them a monthly fee to monitor the feeds and so actually it's not even that it's being what looked at by your 
your your grandchild or your or your whatever your niece and nephew from miles away on their phone but it's some you know underpaid minimum wage someone on a screen um who is who is having to monitor you effectively to kind of the to create peace of mind for the the too busy the cash cash rich but time poor relatives you haven't got time to do it themselves yeah it's it's a pretty bleak vision isn't it of um of future and uh, and yet positively i mean i, I don't I, I wouldn't be entirely negative about it because i think what so many older people uh fear about <clears throat> um the later stages of life is sort of residential accommodation mm. and it's particularly it's it's the uh, institutionalization um, yeah. much more i mean the care may be fine it may be you know really clean the food is good and all the rest but the idea that i am now uh, confined within a very rigid institutional you have your cup of tea in the morning at this time you know breakfast is between 9 and 9:30 and then we have a playtime between 11 and 12 and then you know the the games assistant comes along at 2 and you know everything is in this regimented um mm institutionalized way so at least having a smart home allows you to live your own life and to choose your own rhythms and decide when you get up and when you go to bed and and so on and remain in the place that you might have lived for many decades as well and we shouldn't underestimate the extent to which people obviously understandably get attached to their homes but even more so if you get to old age and maybe your partner or spouse has died the home is is one of the few thing kind of constants you might have left, and so it is understandably very difficult often for older people to to con, to kind of countenance the idea of of moving up and and popping themselves in some you know bracingly cheery uh, care home, which as you say <laughs> might provide perfectly adequate care, but it still feels like an institution. It feels like you're back at school or in a hospital mm. or something like that. Mm. Yeah. So then thinking about other technological solutions. Um, there's a lot of research and interest into so-called assistive technologies, um, sophisticated kinds of uh, technologies which assist dis- uh, disabled or dependent people to to live their own lives. And, and there's a huge range of devices, um, specialised motorised wheelchairs, through to devices that can assist with bathing and with changing beds and... Um, dressing and all that kind of stuff Um, and what I think turns out generally is that although we can see that this is really valuable this kind of technology that it it raises very very considerable engineering and technological challenges it does it's it's always um my kind of rule of thumb with kind of cutting through kind of tech hype and silicon valley boosterism is always that software is 10 times easier than hardware and yeah. you know ai technology is streets ahead when it's a, a chatbot like we've talked about in previous episodes which can now eerily well mimic human speech but trying to get you know a robot to actually have a physical hand that can lick down and pick up a grape off a table is staggeringly difficult and you know the robots are in many cases still kind of embarrassingly backwards Fall, often falling over and unable to hold their balance, get bamboozled by something as basic as a step in the or or a 
you know, can't turn a door handle. <laughs> and so, yeah, it doesn't shock me at all to believe that that people are finding it much easier to, to create a kind of souped up Amazon Alexa that can kind of talk to you in your old age rather than find a robot who can do a good kind of tuck tuck you in at bed and, and fold the sheets and things like that. Yeah, and, and so it's it does sadly seem that um, a, a lot of emphasis is being made on um, natural language processing these devices that that can talk to you and understand you quotes and listen to you and respond in the way that a friend would um, whereas <clears throat> you could imagine that really useful technology which which took the load off human carers which allowed uh, many of the backbreaking jobs of, of caring of, of changing linen and dressing and bathing and all those kind of stuff. Um, they, they could be really beneficial for the future and, um, and, and a very positive contribution to the care of the elderly. I mean, in some sense, that's nearly the extension of what we already have. You know, we've long had things like stair lifts and things like that, which are a form of technology that we install into people's homes to allow them to kind of stay, stay there for longer. But everyone understands a stair lift doesn't, replace the need for for human interaction and human care and i could definitely believe that that could go further and as you say we could have technology which could take some of the kind of practical logistical load off off the shoulders of the human carers to, to give them time to focus on stuff that they, that they can do much better than the tech the the companionship the the care the the human connection the conversation yes and it's interesting that at least until recently japan has been the place on the country which has put most um, emphasis on this particular area of technology um, <clears throat> because Japan has got a unique problem of, an, of a I think one of the most elderly populations on the planet coupled with a very strict anti-immigration policy mm. so they don't have the um, the numbers of carers who've come from uh, low resource countries as as would be the case in the UK and the US and many other many other western countries so Japan has got this unique double whammy and is therefore has seen this coming and really for the past 20 years has had government financed initiatives to develop this kind of assistive technology hmm. that's really interesting to Matters of Life and Death, a podcast from Premier Unbelievable. And so how do you think the church or Christians can do this better you know, or, or think differently about this um, both kind of the growing burden of caring for the elderly and this kind of this fear that we all seem to have about being a burden and, and becoming dependent on others? Well, I think the first thing to do is just to recognise the issue. And yet I'm struck by how little conversation there is going on about these kind of issues in general uh, within churches and Christian communities. Um, and I do think part of the problem is that <clears throat> the church leadership it has its focus elsewhere, it, it, and particularly on the need to try to attract and retain young people and young families. And it's almost like it just takes 
elderly people as being a sort of a fact of life, but they're not the really important focus for hmm. um, for church activities. I mean, do you think that's fair, or is that a caricature? I think I think there's truth in it. I think certainly churches have been kind of fascinated and even obsessed with 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 growing their population of younger people um there is good sense in that you know in that if you don't do that then you're by default of aging your your congregation will eventually die um so you need sure. young young fresh blood to use a crude metaphor to constantly be r- reviving and um yeah, uh, renewing a church congregation as you would in any community of people, intergenerational community. So I think there is definitely, there is some kind of something that's just natural and good about the fact that we want to be to be bringing in new faces. Yeah. <clears throat> but I think course. for sure there is a sense in which, I think there's a source, but, it, but what complicates the issue is that we we kind of presume that older people are not a mission field in their own right as well. You know, where is the evangelism to those in their seventies and above? It doesn't really exist, and the and and I think there's this idea that they're either a lost cause, they're already Christians nominally or otherwise. So why, you know, why why waste your time? And that the real kind of the real need is to reach people in their thirties and twenties or, or below. And actually, I think this country in particular has become so radically dechristianized so quickly. Actually, you know most elderly people probably don't have a living faith with Jesus and are just in need as everyone else is of being kind of called into community of faith and and introduced to Jesus for maybe for the first time. Yeah, and I think there are hints to suggest that in some ways, and it may be, again, very simplistic, but I think there is some evidence to suggest that that older people, particularly those in retirement and beyond, may be more open to yeah. um, learning about, you know, what the Christian faith teaches. Um, it, you know, I, I think that a lot of baby boomers <clears throat> have have gone through their life, and in many ways, you know, they've they've hit the jackpot. They got free education. They bought their properties. They made a massive amount <clears throat> on on their homes. They've got good jobs, not all, of course, but many, and good pensions and all the rest. And now they've got to the end, and they're in, in the saga cruise age bracket, <laughs> and they're saying, is that it? Is, is this really, you know, is the next 20 years going saga cruises and golf courses and and, and foreign travel? Um, is there more? Is there meaning? Is there purpose uh, beyond that? Yeah, I think that's probably really true. I mean, it does strike me that, you know your generation this the baby boomers i think faces this this demographic time bomb and and the the crisis of dependence in old age as a particularly acute fear because you kind of came of age in the 1960s during that kind of era of tumult and and independence and 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 demolishing old certainties and strictures Mm. Uh, and it was all about be the be who you want to be regardless of what society thinks about you and claim your own independence and your autonomy and you and i was again huge generalization but that generation has also as you say achieved a lot of financial independence um through you know steady jobs good pensions ever rising house prices um and so i think the idea of then of this kind of regression as it were to a form of 
dependence, even though it is, as we said before, an entirely natural and quite healthy part of being a human, strikes a particular fear in the hearts of a baby boomers who have who have been told their whole life that they can have it all and be themselves and and be their kind of self-actualizing individual and suddenly they realize that's actually that was a lie they've been sold because yeah. your money won't protect you from dementia and and your swinging 60s spirit is not going to stop you from from being a burden and, and having to rely on others yeah i was really struck by this um when i produced a report on assisted dying for the debate about assisted dying or physician-assisted suicide, which went in the House of Lords last year, last autumn. And what struck me listening to that debate was how many really elderly uh, lords and ladies in the House of Lords, you know, people in their 70s, 80s, even 90s, gave impassioned speeches in favour of changing the law to allow assisted uh, dying and and it it was based almost entirely on sort of horrifying stories of people who died in pain and um, they clearly they were talking about themselves I mean this this was existential angst about mm. their own futures and their only way they could face their futures was knowing that this law was on the statute book and so if they had to they could they could be they could be killed and put out of their misery. So I th I think it it is often older frightened people who who are reacting against the possibility of dependence. And yet I think there is a hunger for something more, um, mm. a, a sense that <clears throat> the sixties didn't really deliver. You know, the, mm. the theory was once we'd broken off all the shackles, once we'd, you know, derided traditional families and traditional <clears throat> mores and each one of us could live our own lives, um, that, that we would enter into the sort of golden uplands of, <laughs> of, of human existence. And, and actually we look around and it doesn't seem to be <laughs> quite delivered. And I think that's why there is a call on the church in this age and in this moment in our culture to to speak into that and to say, actually, I'm afraid you were sold a bit of a lie. And that not only is has this like total autonomy and independence not delivered for you, but actually it turns out dependence is actually a really good thing in some ways, you know. It comes comes it's complex, but like actually we were made by by a creator to depend on on the creator we are cre creatures not intended to be kind of wound up like a clock and set off and, and left alone but we're created to be knitted into dense relationship interdependent relationships both with other human beings around us and ultimately with our creator god and that's a lesson which for sure people like yourself and those facing you know imminent physical decline need to learn but it's also a lesson that i need to learn you know as someone theoretically in the prime of my life because i need to learn put to death the idol of spiritual independence and, and recognize that actually I am most myself when I am actually relying on on God and, and others. That's right. Uh, there's a very interesting, uh, profound quote from a, an American physician called John Dunlop, who would had, you know, has had a lot of experience of caring for elderly people. And he said, there is an essential humility that makes us willing to be served 
throughout life a desire for self-sufficiency can impair spiritual growth. And at the end of life, it's good to be less self-sufficient and trust God more fully. I thought it was really interesting, you know, that that the desire for self-sufficiency can impair spiritual growth. That That's quite a strong statement, isn't it? And yet I, I, I sense what he's saying. Hmm. Definitely. I mean, I, I remember you pointed me to, to um, uh, a piece by the, the theologian Gilbert Mylander, who wrote an article called I Want to Be a Burden to My Family, which is all about kind of like counteracting this idea that being that the worst thing possible would be to be a burden and actually um, you know, saying that actually it's it's enriching to to be a burden to someone else. Um he has this quote Is this not in large measure what it means to belong to a family, to burden each other, and to find almost miraculously that others are willing, even happy, to carry such burdens? Um yeah. It's a life of um, mutual burdensomeness, I think you once wrote. Yeah, that's right. And and there is something very profound in that, but also very countercultural, isn't it? Because, you know, a number of people have said to me uh, how much it has meant to them to care for their elderly loved one in the last weeks, months of their life. Um, was something <clears throat> just to be able to do something very simple together, you know, cutting nails, helping someone to to wash, um, actually took on a a real significance, a profundity. Um, and, and there is something about the symmetry, isn't it, that this is the person who cared for me mm. when I was a baby. These are the hands that washed me, that protected me, that nurtured me. And now I am the one who is... Uh, washing those hands I am the one who's feeding feeding them that there is something there and and yet I I can just hear in my head you know people saying yeah but this is just sentimental (laughs) rubbish I mean because the truth is that so many families are not like that and I you know I've heard of the sort of poignancy and 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 almost uh yeah the real pain of somebody who was abused by their father uh, and now caring for that same abusing yeah. father, um, you know. So, so there can be these, these things are complex, aren't they? And families are often broken. Yeah. And uh, so we mustn't sort of over sentimentalize this idea. But there is a kernel of truth there. Definitely. No, I think that's a really good point. And I guess it's another way in which we see how the brokenness of our sinful world breaks down all the good structures that God planned to be in place for us and God's intent I think is clear from scripture and from from natural law as it were is that the intent was that we would all be you know both raised by loving caring parents and then in time grow to care for them as they need that and of course it is a tragedy that that's not the case for some children that they aren't cared for they are abused or abandoned and and that clearly it works both ways around. And I think clearly it's a tragedy that, that in reverse there are some parents whose children don't care for them. I can't or won't care for them when they when they need that. Um but it doesn't take away from the fact that I think that is probably what God's heart was for us to to experience. That's right. And and so one of the things I'm trying to tell myself, and you and you can remind me of this, Tim, <laughs> is that we should be prepared uh, to 
graciously let go um, progressively. Again, uh, John Dunlop, the, the Christian physician, said, many of the losses associated with ageing are inevitable and often forced upon us, but some things we can choose to give up voluntarily. And when we can see the losses coming, I have observed, says Dunlop, that it's much better to recognise them, plan for them, and make changes gradually and proactively, rather than waiting for a crisis to force a drastic change. Hmm. So what kind so, of changes are you thinking of there? Well, I think it is sort of transferring um, responsibility. for. So, for instance, like finances, um, instead of, you know, ha hanging on to controlling all my finances and everything to the bitter end. I mean, my dad as, as he, uh, was very keen to try to <clears throat> explain to me as the oldest son, you know, what the financial situation was, what savings accounts he had. And so on, and, and and that was extremely helpful. He he really facilitated the process of of, of handing over responsibility, and um, and I think other things as well, like you know, saying you know I can't drive anymore, and, and rather than I'm going to fight like crazy to keep driving as long as possible, saying okay, let's um, let's hand that on. Let let's let's be prepared to to let go progressively. Hmm. And in many ways, churches, church families can and should be stepping in or augmenting uh, that, that kind of dependent care. You know, so the example of driving, you know, how much easier would it be for an older person to sur surrender their driving license without a fight if they felt confident that there was a network in their church community of people who had cars who would be able to give them lifts and committed to saying, you know what, I'm available, give me a call. Let me know, and I can we can find a time to to drive you where you need to drive, and 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 that's also equally true of people you know who's who for various reasons that like we talked about family brokenness, maybe their own relatives can't or won't care for them. It wouldn't it be awesome if if the church family was stepping into the breach there and saying, well, we'll be your family, we will be that that thick network of interdependent relationships for you because your own kith and kin uh, aren't around. I think that's absolutely right. And, and I think so much of the fear that people have as they look into the future, older people have, is because they know very well that, that the health and social care frameworks in this country hmm. are desperately overburdened and, uh, and struggling. And if they knew that the Christian family uh, was prepared and, and, and uh, to be involved and, and, um, and support them, that... that could make a, a vast difference, I think, as they as they look to the future. But of course, again, I think I want to emphasise that it's not just a one way process. You know that because older people have got a great deal to offer mm. uh, in terms of availability to others, in terms of life wisdom, uh, being involved in intergenerational friendships, um, leaving a legacy for the next generation, passing on. Uh, what they've learnt <clears throat> about God's faithfulness, um, uh, providing a listening ear, uh, prayerfulness, gratitude. You know, potentially, um, there's a lot that older people have to offer um, a, a, as a vital part of the whole church family. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, I think we've um, we've hit our hit our time, um, uh, so we probably need to draw this episode to a close. 
Um, but I, thanks for coming on this journey, everyone, for listening over over two episodes about aging and dependence and and autonomy. I hope it's been interesting. Um, there's lots of things uh, on this topic you could find on John's website to to read or watch or listen to, find out more or to kind of stimulate your own thinking. So do visit that. That's um, John Wyatt W Y A T T dot com. Uh, you can get in touch with us by emailing molad m o l a d at premier.org.uk. Um, uh, otherwise we will uh, speak to you next week bye bye you've been listening to matters of life and death a podcast from premier unbelievable 